3: Yak Gadget for all your fine kayak fishing accessory needs. Go to yakgadget.com. Eastport Marina on the beautiful shores of Dale Hollow Lake for all your lodging, kayaking, and fishing needs. Go to eastport.info. Now, let's get this show started.
4: Welcome back to another episode of Bass Fishing for noobs here on the Paddle and Fin podcast. I am your host, Sean Lavery. And I'd like to welcome everyone back uh, to the show this evening. So uh, I'm ca- going kind of retro today with today's guest, uh, going the whole way back to the very first guest that I got to interview when I came here uh, and joined Ryan on the new show. Um, everybody knows Ryan has since moved on, but I figured it's been over two years since uh, that day. So I wanted to, I reached out to uh, tonight's guest and asked him to come back on um, to talk a little bit about. Um, pre-spawn into post-spawn, kind of some tactics and uh, maybe some baits that we're going to try out. So I uh, just wanted to bring back Juan Verrute onto the new Show. So welcome back, Juan. It's good to have you again, bud.
2: Thanks, Sean. It's good to be back on the Noob it's been Show. A, I like the title. It's been Noob. quite a, yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. We welcome, uh, you know, news but we, you know, we take the experience, guys, too. Um, I've heard that, you know, everyone, everybody kind of listens to it for the the tips and techniques and stuff so uh everybody's welcome here on the new show absolutely well uh like juan i know it's been two years uh so i wanted to uh give you a chance just to let the folks for those of the, the listeners who don't know who you are um let them know who you are and where you're from you know uh a little bit of your background and then you know anything that's new in the last two years uh you know i know at that point um the last time we talked to you, you had kind of uh, took a break from um, your classes and stuff, and and uh, much to my dismay, because uh, that was something I was hoping to get in on. So, uh, but I figured we could catch up and see what 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 else has changed in the last few years.
2: So. Sure. sure, yeah, Sean. So basically, um, I grew up in central Pennsylvania, so like my home waters would be the Susquehanna River. Um, it's about an hour or hour and a half from where I live. And uh Juniata River is a little bit shorter drive for me. Um and then I've got some smaller, um, you know, smaller uh, smallmouth bass waters close to me. And I've been fishing since I was, oh my gosh, six years old. <laughs> and uh and really I, I've been really a student of the sport. Um I've always enjoyed trying to figure it out and problem solve and so forth. And uh, so eventually I kind of worked my way into kayak fishing and uh, I've taught kayak anglers. I I was a certified kayak instructor and also a licensed fishing guy in Pennsylvania for over a decade. And I taught kayak anglers probably for two decades now through my classes that I've designed um, on river smallmouth bass fishing through um, uh, different video projects. You know, everybody kind of knows Jeff Little, if you know river fishing, and he and I did a huge uh, video project back in the day on kayak fishing, uh, basically a four-series DVD, four DVD thing, and, uh, and a lot of YouTube content, uh, all aimed at t- teaching anglers. I've also written for magazines, uh, print magazines, like Kayak Angler Magazine, been published there numerous times, um, usually about at least once to three times a year, I'll have an article in there. And I've also contributed to books on track fishing as well. So I've been contacted by folks writing books and you know, published books that, you know, for parts of, you know, content, things like that. And so I've been lucky enough to be able to do those kind of things too. So my history really is the teaching. And I love to teach anglers. That's really what I enjoy doing. I I am a licensed guide, but I I never really guided that much. (laughs) Most of what I did was design fishing classes and taught fishing classes, done seminars all over, you know from here to out to salt lake city (laughs) so so i've also done a bunch of live seminars as well i've got a lot of. i've been lucky
4: enough to partake in a few of those seminars so um Mm -hmm. and i think the last time we had you on that was kind of what we covered one of the things that i saw in your seminars and that was kind of um following winter habits and and you know finding those wintering holes and stuff so um Definitely a lot of tons of good information out there. If you if uh, the listeners can uh, at the end of the show, we'll have you shout out your social media and we'll let the folks know where they can find all that great info. We we just had Jeff Little on maybe a month, a month, two months ago, maybe. And um, so uh, he definitely highlighted some of those videos that you guys put out there and and talked about that a bit, too. So,
2: yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. Like I said, I enjoy it a lot, Sean and uh and there is a video that i've done on youtube i did a seminar years ago for green top down in uh, richmond virginia and uh, i videotaped that two-part seminar and uh, it's excellent and so that could be a good kind of thing to listen for at the end of the the podcast here um to jump over to that youtube video watch both those videos i've gotten a lot of really positive feedback on it that's really helped people like immediately like have success on the water and that's really what my classes are about it's like what are the things i can teach that are going to provide a base for an angler to work from and use their own style to apply to it as well so it's not about saying this is exactly how you have to do something it's giving anglers certain concepts and they master those concepts and they build on them with their own styles and so forth so that's really what my classes were all about so that's why people like them too because they can apply their own style to it so um, so you wanted to talk about pre-spawn smallmouth, and really to me, like fishing for pre-spawn river smallmouth and post-spawn river smallmouth is very similar in terms of location and where those fish are going to be, and uh and so and so you do they'll have to change your tactics. You know, it's it's you know the fish change their mood <laughs> after they spawn, and so you're going to have to use different tactics. But I think that understanding how to locate pre-spawn bass smaller bass and rivers is also going to help um anglers understand where those fish are going to be after they spawn because the big females and, and that's really kind of what what i i Focus my efforts on in the spring is the big females. I mean, it's easy to roll up on a shallow spawning area and pull a bunch of buck bass, you know what I mean, off the beds and so forth. And I know that you and I have talked about this uh, just briefly, but you know, I'm not a big proponent of fishing for bedded bass. Um, I just don't, honestly, I have more success not doing that. Um, You know, I can understand if you're on a lake or something like that, where you're, you know, you're really, you know, trying to, fish a tournament, and it's allowed, and you do it, right? I mean, you do what you need right. to do with the tournament, and you do it. I try not to do that because I honestly feel like I am more successful in pulling big females um, fishing other areas that are not the actual spawning beds because they're only up there for a very brief time to lay their eggs, and then they're gone, you know what I mean? Uh, once they spawn, they're, they're, they move up, they spawn, they move back. The males stay there all the time. Right. But the females are right. cycling in and out. And, and so I really want to target those bigger females that are cycling in and out. And I feel like there's a better, better place to head them off at the pass, really. And so that's what I talk about. You know, when when you're looking to locate and I'll use some examples from past examples and my experience on the River Plus, I'll use some examples even from just like two weeks ago. When i was catching you know pre-spawn river smallmouth and i'll send you a picture of one of the. i caught a couple really really nice fish but but um i caught more than that but a couple nice ones (laughs) the picture fish i had a a good good picture fish but i caught a bunch of other ones but when you're looking for pre-spawn smallmouth bass and post-spawn smallmouth bass the first thing you want to do as an angler is try to locate what i would call primary or major spawning areas okay so you want to like kind of look at your river and say you know where are the areas that are one to three feet deep that are current protected to some extent and have that gravel bottom that that substrate that's a smallmouth need to spawn and when you find big areas and, and a lot of times when you're on your home river you're cruising through areas and you see the fish there right like year after year you kind of know where those like big spawning areas are and you see the beds you know fanned out and stuff like that those are the kind of places if if, if there's a lot of activity there a lot of times there it's because it's a prime spawning area right and that means there's going to be the prime smallmouth there that want to spawn there right the bigger smallmouth the, the ones that really are going for the the best spawning areas, right? It's like, you know, smallmouth, the biggest smallmouth take up the best feeding locations, right? The biggest smallmouth go to the best spawning locations most of the time, right? Unless there's some kind of pressure that moves them to other places. I mean, we can debate those kind of things, but I would say, again, general template, right? General template for success is find those major spawning areas. Once you've done that, what you want to do is look at the water around those major spawning areas in close proximity. I would say within sight, right? So we'll just do something easy within sight of that major spawning area. What I'm looking for is deeper areas that have low current, so it, that are current protected. So some examples of that would be, and I just fished this pattern this past weekend, it worked like a charm. Um, boulders, submerged boulders in six to eight feet of water. So you got your spawning area in two to three foot of water generally. Again, we can debate whether they spawn deeper or not. They do. <laughs> but generally speaking, you know, um, and then right. look off of there, you're going to, you want to find major current breaks where the fish can be out, the big females can be out of the current, but still close to it so that they can feed. I also call those like they're pre-spawn locations, but they're really feeding stations, because that's what the females are doing when they're going to that pre-spawn mode, which right now we've got a little bit of everything, pre-spawn, spawn and post-spawn probably in Pennsylvania based on my last trip to the river. Um, and so you wanna find those major current breaks. And so you're looking for things that could be above the surface, right? Or it could be things below the surface. My last pattern I fished last weekend were boulders, big boulders. Below the surface, you can use the um, electronics to find those. And I find electronics in pre-spawn river bass to be useful because of that. Or like what I do is the other thing I did Well, is, is I can use my feel for my lures because I've been doing this long <laughs> enough. Like I can tell there's gravel, sand, mud. I mean, literally, you know, whether I'm bouncing off, you know, chunk rock or whether I'm hitting big boulders, like I can kind of tell what's down there. A lot of times just by by crank crankbait or something like that. So, so you're finding those, those uh, major current breaks within, I would say, right, just using an easy marker of those big spawning areas. And the other thing it could be is ledges above the surface. So a rock above the surface, right? It's obvious. You can see that. And it creates a big eddy behind it. You know, I'm not really looking at those little pockets. A lot of times you want something big and pretty expansive because what they'll do is they'll move to the edge of that current like they always do. And they'll sit there just out of the current and they'll just wait for that food to come by in the spring or wait for the minnows to come into that break or whatever, crawfish to move around. They're in there just eating and eating and eating and getting ready to do the spawn. The other thing that you could find is like uh, bridge pilots. You know, I've been in a lot of situations where bridge pilots are really close to spawning areas. And they're awesome when they're like five six seven feet of water eight feet of water that again it's deep water current protected and there's there's food around um maybe um a submerged like i said submerged chunk rock that's piled up um it could be like a little point that's coming off the bank or a little cutout or something like that that's deeper than like a spawning area um, and so you really want to look for those those current breaks like that where you know, most of it's ledges a lot of times, or it could even be a drop. So let's say we've got a, a depth, a sudden depth drop for whatever reason. That's where you need electronics, too, right? And there are areas where the current or the the river bottom is going like this, and all of a sudden, for whatever reason, it's carved out a lot, right? And so it's creating a real depth drop, and those fish can tuck right in there. You think about that as a feeding station, and that's why I fish those boulders because I like those scenarios where it's submerged, and I can find that submerged stuff because honestly those fish are there in the current break and there's an eddy line above them right there's water flowing above them what does that do it rains food down on them minnows come up over the top of that they hit that they, they hit the current line they come down in and they feed on them you know crayfish coming across the top of the water hit that and drop down into that pocket so so those are like i love submerged stuff that i can find that's close to spawn areas i think those areas are are overlooked by anglers because they just don't think of the river in that way. Um, you know, they don't think to look below river. They're looking at surface stuff, right?
0: Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt at midwayusa.com. We understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. MidwayUSA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products, and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com um, and so they, they- I
4: was going to say, I think a lot of the, the anglers are going to focus on what they can see versus something that they might have to dig a little to find.
2: That's right. And sometimes whenever I'm looking <clears> at a awning area, I do have electronics where I know that water is like eight feet, nine feet deep at, at the most. I will literally go with my electronics and, and zigzag it and try to locate and mark things that I think are going to cause like current breaks. And I found like awesome, like for a reason, like there's a I found this one scenario where there was like a high bluff. And all the rock had come down and fell, fell down into the deeper water and created a big pile of rock. And those fish were literally just tucked right in behind that. When you find a place like that, you can't necessarily see that on the surface either if it's really deep. But if you can find something right. like that, man, it is like money. And that's one of the things I do in the river, too. The, the river I was fishing this last weekend, it literally had some mud bank. And I, I looked visually at the bank to see what the substrate, like what the boulders were like or what was the mud, mud bank. And a lot of times, like in those mountainous areas in Pennsylvania, I was fishing like a really narrow river that was really steep sided. And a lot of it was mud right so but when i came to an area that looked like a good spawning area along the bank where it had some rock i also looked at the bank to see if there was big boulders or big chunk rock cuz i know that that typically extends down into the into the river a little bit right so so i'll be able to find that substrate and again I'm, I'm throwing a crankbait so i'm feeling that too right okay i feel that rock and so i really slow down so you want to locate those feeding stations whether they be visually on top you know you can see it, it's a big current break on top a piece of ledge whatever or whether you're looking using your electronics or using feel to find that stuff below or, or visually looking at the bank and deciding there might be some boulders or there might be some some you know chunk rock that's going to be worth hitting uh and seeing that it's close to those spawning areas so that's really the key honestly once you can do those things once you can find those feeding stations those kind of hold up spots before they move up in there you are right on pre-spawn spots <laughs> you know what i mean you're you're in the money you're in the money and it's and if you're close to the spawn man the big females are going to be there that's where they're going to be it's almost like like clockwork um and the other thing that happens too like once they move up and they spawn they'll drop back to those same locations again so you have two wax okay. like you can literally like when i was last weekend i literally caught i knew there were, there were a female with eggs right and i literally caught one that looked like it had spawned a little bit so so they i knew i was catching both so it's a revolving door and so you really Got want you. to 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 find those feeding or those spawning areas, find those feeding locations, those deeper, you know, current protected areas. Um, and then from there, you you basically have found something, you make sure you just know where that is and you keep, keep a log of it so you keep going back to it every year. Because I can almost guarantee you those fish are gonna be there unless something changes with the river. Those fish are probably gonna be there every year at the same time, same time of the year if the water conditions are the same. Um, now, really what happens there is once you find those kind of locations, it really becomes a matter of how do you fish them, right? How, what presentations do you use? Um, I was
4: just going to ask that because I was going to say it sounds like if, if they're sitting watching stuff come from these, these drop downs, it's almost something you're, they're going to be looking up versus looking down.
2: Sometimes they do. And, it, you know, and here's where um, here's where the you've got to judge the mood of the fish. Right. And one of my co- basic concepts is this, John, I want to fish as fast as I can and still catch fish because i can cover more of those locations i can make more casts right right? it just ups your odds so there are some days when you could catch a lot of smallmouth dragging a tube on the bottom but why would i want to do that if i can throw a crankbait catch you know cover more water (laughs) you know what i mean and maybe attract bigger absolutely you know what i mean so so you want to fast as you can on those spots so you can you hit more spots um, and, you know, I'll give a comparison, like my buddy that was that I was fishing with, you know, um, once I found a spot, like when, when I saw that I, I found spots with boulders or whatever close to spawning areas, I would really slow down on those areas, not slow down with my bait, but really blanket it, right? And then when you catch one fish, I can, I can almost guarantee if you catch a nice female in a pre-spawn spot like that, in one of those feeding stations, there's more in there. I've I've caught as many as three smallmouth over 20 inches off of one bridge pilot, you know, wow. basically like right in a row. And I have witnesses to prove it too. Who were right there. <laughs> uh, so so one of them was a police officer, so he won't lie. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it, it when you find a, a spot and you catch a fish, don't float past it. You know what I mean? Like like when you're when you find those boulders like that, don't do yourself a favor. And fish it right. So I I slow down, I go back up. Whether I got to paddle up or whether I'm using my torpedo motor, I'm going back up and I'm going to cover it again, right? Maybe with the same bait. And I caught my biggest smallmouth that day, um, a 19 and a half incher doing that i caught a couple good ones and i just knew it was a, i could tell there's really big boulders down there because of what i saw on the bank plus what i was feeling below and it was in six to eight feet of water and that was my pattern you know submerged boulders in six to eight feet of water and i just kept going back in the third pass i caught that bigger fish had i just went through there once or twice you know what i mean you really want to right because there's going to be more fish there you, you know there's going to be more fish there so don't give up on the spot so so when you catch one, stay on that spot, is what I would say. Stay on that feeding station. And the, the lures that I use, honestly, um, you know, I want to fish. One of the one of the things I use a lot in pre-spawn is going to be a crankbait. I actually did a video for Wilderness Systems about this. that will be coming out soon. Um, they should be posting it on their social media. And you still okay. there? Sean?
4: Yeah, I'm still here. I just made you big so that they oh, okay. can see you.
2: <laughs> All right. it's oh, Good to be big, man. It's always good to be big. <laughs> uh, so here's like, so this is one of the crankbaits I use. I love to use crankbaits and pre-spawn for both pre-spawn and post-spawn smallmouth. It's good for feeders. It's good to elicit, you know, that that uh, reaction strike. And it also allows me like in, in that six feet of water boulder size was fishing, it allows me to deflect it off of that and really get on bottom um you talked about them looking up that's not necessarily all you know the case like I would say that on the day I was fishing those fish if I wasn't really hitting bottom I wasn't going to catch anything if I was three feet over the top I would not catch anything that was just the mood of the fish so one of my favorites is the crankbait and then what I do is this is my muddy water crankbaits here real dark on top and a red kind of orange stripe on the bottom you see these bills here in a river what i want to do when i find that when i have a favorite crankbait you know that i have confidence in like a color or a type of crankbait get it in two different um two different um, configurations like this is up to about four feet this will go like eight maybe nine feet if i'm really you know working hard with it and really you want to tie one on each one of your rods like like you to two rods tied the shallow run on one the deeper on the other, because some of your, some of your structure that you want to fish is going to be shallower. Some of it's going to be deeper. You know what I mean? So some of my boulders were shallow. So I switched this. Some of my boulders were deep. So I switched to this because I really, that day I was really going to ask
4: you about that. Yeah, exactly. Cause I, I was going to say, I, a lot of times in, in the river around here, I run a, a square bill and I, I was going to say, I can't hit bottom one six to eight feet with a square bill. So no, that's
2: right. right and another trick you could do if you want to get a little bit more depth like say i'm fishing even my deep runner i i really think anglers i did a whole video about this for wilderness two of them anglers when you're getting a good color that you like and i'm not going to dive into like what's the best color you know i have some general rules of thumb number one in muddy water in spring use dark colors to create a silhouette but make sure you have some kind of uh uh, orange or red, or something on the bottom, some brighter color. Because watch this
4: <laughs> gives you a flicker.
2: Predators are programmed to see something is different. When you back in the days when we watched Wild Kingdom on TV, right? Why did the lion attack that one injured gazelle? I was looking at that video and I couldn't tell that a gazelle was injured, right? Until the the line's running it down like hey there's something wrong with that leg you know there predators are trained to see something that's different and that's like a this is like an attractor right so my muddy water baits do this and anything for green water to clear water just natural whatever's in the river you know what i mean like or or if you believe that chartreuse is the way to go whatever like like you have confidence in it have at it but but what i'm saying is your tool has to hit bottom in the spring you know, and so your crankbait has to be able to hit bottom. So if you lose contact with the bottom, say the bottom drops out real quick and you lose contact, you can take your rod tip and dip it in the water, down into the water, and, and still you're still okay. And You can get another two, three, four foot out of it that way, and you can make contact okay. with the bottom. And I didn't make that up. I think I got that when I was a little kid watching Rick Clunn crankbait fish in a tournament. That was one of the things that he used to call it kneeling real because he used to kneel on his bass boat to get extra depth when he lost contact. And so I didn't make that up, but that's an old school trick. <laughs> so, so when you had that, that because Sean, I will tell you that if you weren't making contact that day we were out there, you are not going to catch fish. I mean, like you, I mean, you were going to get like the odd off thing, but literally, you're, you're, you're you just weren't going to get them if you were like up off the bottom at all. So I usually start, um, <clears throat> With a with a crankbait. You can use uh you know jackhammers and stuff like that. But the thing is, again, pre-spawn, a lot of times because of the water conditions and so forth, those fish are gonna be feeding close to the bottom. They're not gonna be coming up off the bottom that much. Again, <clears throat> sometimes they do, all right. <laughs> sometimes, especially when the water's warming up, they're getting super active. But a lot of times they're they're liking that food easy to get because they're trying to conserve energy. That's the way Mother Nature made them in the pre-spawn and so you want it to be on the bottom and so you got to really be hitting bottom with the crankbait. So if you're going to use jackhammers, things like that, you want to be making sure you're patient enough to be getting it on the bottom because if you're running through the middle of the water column or too high up in the water column, you might not get bit. Again, there are days when they'll do it, but I'd say day in and day out, you're better off dragging the bottom with that. Um, so so I try to do crankbaits. The other favorite in the in those locations is actually a um, a uh, spinner bait and I like um black spinner baits in in the spring um especially when it's muddy again I use chartreuse when it's clear to green color I call it green color colored water but like here's one of my favorites this is a uh, um a spinner bait that's probably close to a, a half ounce maybe and it's got okay. a Colorado and uh and it's got you notice my, my thing here for Muddy Water, again, a chartreuse strip in there. Again, just a little bit of something to flash a little bit. And then I'm using a twister tail um, trailer on it. You can use like a paddle tail. I think that, you know, those components are like most important. This single blade and Muddy Water, um, more compact. You notice that's a short arm, uh, more compact and Muddy Water. Um, and then, like I said, black to be, give a silhouette and some kind of trailer to Create more you know lateral line you know because the fish are going to use their lateral line more muddy water but even in green to clear water i use this in the spring and one of the reasons i use it it's really compact and here's the thing when you're fishing those those like say you're fishing behind a big boulder it's even on the surface and you have this um um this really deep pocket like six or eight feet pocket you can take a, a half ounce spinnerbait like this or so or three quarter spinner spinnerbait and instead of just casting it and winding it through that area, what I do with that is I do a lift and drop. I will lift my rod up and pull it up off the bottom and then drop my rod tip all of a sudden through that area, lift again, like i, I you just have to like get a feel for the timing and I let it drop to the bottom and then I lift again, let it drop to the bottom. Some people call it a yo-yo, I call it a lift and drop. And that is again, you know, using this tool um i think in the like the way that gives you the best possibility of success in the spring and here's why if i just pull that spinner bait through that current break my contact my my time in the in the area where i believe the fish is a lot lower even if i'm slow rolling it through there my time in that strike zone is a lot less if i do my pull and drop that thing's not making a lot of progress forward. It's coming up, down, coming up, down. You see that? It's, it's literally staying in that strike zone and working that strike zone later. It takes a lot of discipline to learn how to do it, but I've caught so many, I got photos of so many fish I've caught doing that, that lift and drop. It's just a, um, it's a money presentation when you know that those fish are like really zeroed in on those, those uh, feeding stations and you just wanna keep that spinnerbait in there. Can you just throw it out and slow roll it across the bottom or run it through the middle? You can. And if it's going to work, honestly, if I'm getting bites going that, I'm going to do it because I fish a lot faster, right? Right, right. Day in day out, this is a good tool to have in your presentation kit um, because I find that day in and day out in the spring, because of the variability, it gets cold, right? Rain, cold water, the fish are just less likely to like run up on a bait or chase it or whatever. Um, it's good to have that trick in your, you know, that, that presentation in your bag of tricks. So I call that the the lift and drop. The other bait that I I was,
4: I was going to ask you, ask you about that too. Um, I know um, casting angles has a lot to do with that too. So are you generally positioning yourself downriver of those boulders and casting up river and letting it kind of trying to drop it right in behind that boulder and then yo-yoing
2: it? Are you? I do. So let's say this is the boulder. I'm going to, You know, and I can see it or it's below the surface, whatever the situation or that's a bridge piling. I'm going to try to to come across that and work it from kind of an upstream angle to a downstream angle. And that's usually unless I really like say I'm positioning my kayak and there's just no way because the condition or the situation and I have to throw it downriver to a spot like that. I will. But if I don't have to, I want to position myself kind of downriver off the side of it. And then cast up into it. So I might, if it's a bridge pile, I'm going to cast right up behind it, let my spinnerbait drop, and then just start doing that pull and drop, right. Or if it's my crankbait, I throw it right up against that bridge pile, and break a few bills along the way, um, and then, right. or I throw it up above, like so I can throw it up above the corner and bring it down the corner, mm-hmm. so I can depth right behind it and kind of be it's coming out of the current into the 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 softer water, right. So so then I'll kind of work that whole eddy. Or work that whole area Um, and if there's a boulder field i'm just basically going to cast them one from upstream to downstream mostly so i like to do that upstream to downstream there's another concept there if you think about this you know if you bring something up behind a fish they're more likely if they're in a negative mood or a neutral mood you're almost always going to turn that fish off if it's aggressive it's not going to (laughs) care right but right. I, I, right if i'm throwing the neutral to negative fish and i'm doing that to them all the time i i think i feel like we have a lot less success rate and i've seen in clear water that work itself out right in clear water i got a fish that's negative spooky or whatever i throw behind it bring something up and it goes right i find that if i can put it in its face and bring it at it I'm also in those scenarios when you're coming out of that fast water into the slow water, you're almost making that fish have to make a decision. Do I eat today or not? Right. So, so it's coming right at their face. So it's not coming up behind. So it's not spooking them, not scaring them, but it's making them make a decision. And they can visually see it then too. Smallmouth are primarily visual feeders. Bass are primarily visual feeders. And so anytime I can let them see it, (laughs) you know, as it's coming at them fast, then, then I'm going to do that. So that's that's my spinner baits. I use spinner baits a lot. And and then, you know, suspending baits too are, are gold in the spring and pre-spawn. Again, that's another bait when they're even le- like less likely to chase, right, that maybe I can throw like a suspending jerk bait, and I'll show you. So this is a big perch one. Are there any perch in any of the rivers that I fish? No. <laughs> but they just <laughs> like, for whatever reason, it's just different. They seem to like it. Um, Again, you can go with like contrasting colors and muddy, natural colors and clear, Um, but this is, you know, a Lucky Craft suspending, I think it's like a 78 or whatever they are. I can't even remember anymore. I just buy them. But um, they suspend, and this is another thing you can hang in that strike zone when they're not as chasey, right? They're not willing to chase things down, and you can hang that in, in a strike zone. So those are what I would call like more power fishing baits. That okay. when the fish are willing to come up like to middle water column or in that, that, that bottom third or up to the middle that, that, you know, fish will chase it. Um, the other hard bait I use in, in spring is going to be a rattle trap. Um, and that you can actually, you can yo-yo the rattle traps just like you do the spinner baits. You can yeah. run it hard through the middle of the water column if they're willing to come up and, 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 you know, and, and hit it. You can also, um you know really slow it down and just bump bottom with these two because they're heavy and they get down real easy right you'll get frustrated that's actually
4: what i was throwing yesterday and and did okay with it i was throwing a crawl colored one yesterday yeah. but uh it definitely and i was trying to to feel i wasn't feeling the bottom a ton but every once in a while i just do, 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 mm-hmm. i could feel it like bump bump. so i knew i was yeah. generally pretty close to the bottom so
2: so so <clears> a question sean when you were, yes, we felt it hitting the bottom. When when was that when you got strikes, or did you get strikes up in the middle of the water column?
4: Mostly on the bottom, mostly on the bottom yesterday. Now, um, I had a few um small bass hit it, um, mm-hmm. almost as soon as it hit the water. Um, but the I caught an 18 and a half
2: yeah. and the a 14 and a half. Yeah, and you caught them and deep they were all
4: correct. Yeah. Um, well, relatively deep. I mean, it maybe maybe five feet. So, yeah, that's
2: that's yeah that's below that's below like 10 you know general spawning depth so they were probably off the beds and probably behind something um so your observations there are really important in spring right so to me what that says is i've got to be on bottom i've got to be in the if i want to catch the bigger fish which is what i talked about earlier i got to be off the spawning area in some kind of current break that's under the water someplace You know and that really then what i would do from there is say okay that's part of my pattern right that's part of my location pattern and then what i want to do is look at my presentations and say well i'm catching on this rattle trap what if i threw a crankbait because remember a crankbait sean is a little bit slower and and, and you get one that dredges bottom like you were doing with the rattle trap when you were having success maybe just a little bit slower is going to work better maybe not right but maybe it works better maybe you end up catching more fish or bigger fish doing that so as anglers we have to like put those pieces together and that's a lot of what i taught in my class it's like observations are key and and being able to make those kind of observations are there differences between being a good angler and a great angler you know being able to let the fish tell you what you're going to do you know another thing that, that this past spring just to give you examples of that you know, my buddy who was fishing with me, definitely he didn't have as much success as I did. And, and, you know, he would come over on my, I said, come over on my side of the river because I met, thought maybe there was a difference in substrate and I was finding more stuff. And really what was going on, honestly, was that when I was, when I came to a spot where I know it met my pattern, six to eight feet, boulders, a really big chunk rock, I was literally like making more casts, right? And I was like just basically trying to like make a cast like every foot of that thing. Right. And multiple times. And I would go back up and hit the same thing again. You know, if I, if I kept getting bites, but when I wasn't feeling that stuff or wasn't seeing evidence of that boulders, I was just, I was still casting, but I was moving. Just in case there was an odd boulder that I, you know, wouldn't notice would be there, but I was, right. was moving fast. And then when I came to another place where I could feel it, Feel that substrate again. Feel those boulders. Feel those big chunk rocks, like basketball-sized chunk rocks, and they were in six to eight feet of water. I was slowing down again, and not, by slowing down, I mean it's like slowing down my bait. I mean, like I was just making more casts and making right. sure my hack was moving slower and coming back up to it again. So those are the things, like observations that you need to make. You know, it's like this is, you know, this is the kind of substrate I'm fishing on. This is how fast my lure is making. And then, you know, and I, I probably would have said, okay round traps doing pretty good what if i yo-yoed it would i would i be able to get deeper with it what if i again threw a crankbait you know that maybe goes a little bit slower through there and kind of deflects more through there mm-hmm. and maybe that's going to draw more strikes maybe bigger strikes too um, that and that's
4: all makes- it had crossed my mind and um i was wondering a couple other things because i did i live or where i fish is right by a couple big bridges and so um, and it's like a mile wide right there. So I have bridge pilings, yeah. maybe 20 of them. Yeah. And I kind of concentrated on the first three closest to shore. Um, yep. Those happen to be in in, in my stretch, the shallow um, bridge pilings. So I'm wondering if I would have went a little out a little further and tried some of those other ones, if it would have been more productive, because I didn't find any at the bridge pilings but i also didn't fish the deeper bridge pilings i fished mostly the shallow ones so
2: and and that's a great thought and you were thinking the right way because i've seen scenarios where you want to be on the deeper bridge pilings, not the shallow ones the fish for whatever reason aren't going up into that (laughs) shallow water even though that might be closer to their spawning area they're they're you know they're for whatever reason backing off to those deeper um deeper bridge Usually they'll do that when the water conditions are changing, like water levels are rising for where they, like, I've noticed in pre-spawn, they usually gravitate to that deeper structure um, or the water's getting colder. They'll move off that shallow. I've, I've, I've been out teaching a class. One day we're out on bridge pilings and they were the shallow bridge pilings catching tons of smallmouth. The next day, You'd swear there wasn't a bass there, and I really don't think there was. But what happened was, we moved to the deeper bridge pilings the next day, in like eight about eight feet of water, and guess what? We found them again, and we found good fish again. So, and if I had just fished those same bridge pilings the next day and just thought they were there, I never we never we wouldn't have caught anything because we we weren't catching anything. Right. It was like almost panic mode, like we're not getting anything, you know. They were here, they, were, they gotta be right here. They just moved a little bit for whatever reason. What happened was actually it rained. The water was coming up a little bit, and I think the water got in the shallower, bridge ponds got too pushy for them. Like it just, you know, because they're pre-spawn, they're trying to be like very conservative with their energy. Again, they're not thinking that, but that's the way Mother Nature has wired them, right? They want to be in the best right. area scenario. And what they end up doing because it was getting pushy there's a lot more billowy current in those shallower ones they had moved to the ones that really you could you could see that it was a real good current break for them the water f- was a little bit slower in that area too and and so they fa- felt more comfortable in that kind of in those bridge pilings there so so that's a great example yeah you, you should back off to the, the deeper ones yeah definitely so, I might so have yeah, to- and, I, and i think that's where um you really in spring, you have to play around with your speed of your lure. You know what I mean? Like a lot of and, and what I mean by that is like how fast it's coming at you, right? So, so you know, maybe I can, like I said, maybe I can throw a spinnerbait out and just reel it in and only catch fish, right? But maybe I gotta yo-yo it because that's the right speed and it's the right action, right? This crazy up and down stuff. Um when they get really, you know, you find times the pre-spawn or even post-spawn. Um, when they get really lethargic, because you get a, a cold front, you get rain, things get really muddy. You know, I'm going to still try to fish with my um, my uh, hard baits and, you know, the baits I just showed you. But I'm also going to have a repertoire of other baits on hand. And here are my three spring soft plastics for when it gets really tough. So this is a, a Predator Crawl by Fit Lures. And this right here is is pretty awesome, this weight system they have. I highly okay. recommend really snag, really snag resistant, very versatile. And I use this on a number of my soft plastics. Um, it's, it's made by fit lures and it's basically, you can text those rigs plastics with it. It's super snag resistant. I, even when I was you know, teaching my classes, hardly anybody lost any baits. And when you got a bunch of noobs out there not losing baits, you know it's a good thing, right? So it's like a sled. Basically. Is that the the flutterhead? Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Okay. I thought the last yeah. time
4: you were on, you you mentioned them, and I actually bought a quite a few of them, and yeah. uh, had you're right, they re- really are snag proof or snag resistant. I'll say.
2: Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely so. snag resistant. Um, the cool thing about them is like you can use them like this dragon on bottom. So this is one of my things. Again, depending on your river system. Um, you know, I got a crayfish here. It's kind of blue tint because that's Susquehanna, right? Um, blue tinted mm-hmm. crawfish. But I also have black for muddy water. You know what I mean? Um, some I got some green for the Juniata River. When they get really finessy, this is a uh, um, uh, chili willy. So in the spring when it gets really tough and it's made of a plastic that floats, so this bait will actually do this every single time. It always stands up. Um, and then this little paddle tail just kind of is – tantalizing thing Um, and you could use like a ned rig or you know a five inch worm or four inch worm three inch worm right to do this you know so there are different tools but the idea is to get something finessey on the bottom that stands up though like so they can get it you know so that it's kind of visible like i think it's important for anglers to have something that stands up when they're finessing because it stays up off the bottom and again if this tail's in that current you don't have to do anything i call that passive action you know that's really good because I can let it sit there and that bait's doing something for me. <laughs> right. So if there's a there's a smallmouth eyeball in that bait, that tail doing that is very tantalizing. Um, and then this is a swim bait, probably one of the most versatile lures for a smallmouth angler is a really thin paddle-tail swim bait. You can see I use the flutter head on this. You know why I do that? Because I can reel it through the middle of water column. I can slow it down and I can drag it through, you know, basically slow it down so that I'm always touching bottom with it. Or Mm -hmm. I can drag it on bottom like a tube as well. So I can use this bait in a bunch of different ways at a different bunch of different speeds. So it's it's probably one of the most versatile baits. I should do some videos on this. So those are my more finesse baits, and you can use like um Ned rigs and all that stuff. This is just my favorite stuff because I feel like they're a little bit more versatile and and they they offer a little bit different look to the fish that I've found to be, you know, like I explained, I found to be be pretty uh, useful and, and triggers strikes.
0: Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on
3: Fishing Booker.
2: So I might drag that stuff on the bottom when it gets really tough, especially post-spawn. Small is great, (laughs) you know what I mean? And so if if I know I'm on those spots I talked about earlier, those feeding stations, and I know that I'm really dealing with mostly post-spawn fish, I'm definitely going to throw some crankbaits in those areas just to see if I can make something happen. But I'm always going to follow up with some of these baits too. So that's the other thing too. You want to follow up with those baits. And I would say this, you know, like when you're near, when you're in post-spawn or pre-spawn and you're on what you think is a really good, you know, feeding station, throw a bunch of lures at. You know there are times when i do that where i just i just know in my head that that this is like a prime you know spawning area and this is like the only two feeding stations close to that so there has to be fish there so i'm just like <laughs> they got to be here and so i'll literally throw the kitchen sink at them mostly this stuff right i'm not going to like dig up all kinds of crazy stuff but i'll mostly throw this stuff at them and i'll throw everything at them until i catch a fish and then it's game on because then i know what they're eating right so if I have caught fish under me, I'm going to just stay on that spot for a little bit and just throw the kitchen sink at it see if I can make something happen. Once I do, I just build on it from there. So, you know, gotcha.
4: I hope That, gotcha. that yeah, does that, make a lot of
2: sense. Yeah. So more finesse stuff on the post spawn. You're just getting those fish cycling through the same spots again. I mean, they do. They just cycle through the same darn spots again. and And you're just catching post spawners at that time, you know. Uh, And I've had good luck with crankbaits on post-spawners because it's a reaction bait. um, So you can do that. But more more often than not, that's when I'm really switching up to the more finessey soft plastics and dragging them on bottom. Because the more lethargic a smallmouth gets, the less active they are, the more likely they are to look down. Also, some general thumbs in uh, the spring. And I go over this in the video that I talked about is, you know, when you got muddy or cold water, they do have a tendency to look down. So, so even if you're throwing a crankbait, which I will at those times anyway, I want to make sure I'm I'm contacting bottom. If I got muddy water, if I got cold water, if I got a sudden drop in temperature, even if it's stay if the river's still clear or whatever, I'm gonna, you know, this fish tend to look down. So you want to be making sure you're fishing that that first you know few inches of the water column off the bottom. Hope that makes sense. And then as a uh, star condition. <clears throat> warmer and the fish start to get a little bit more you know um active like even pre-spawn they will come up you know what i mean they'll come up off the bottom a little bit for a spinnerbait run through the middle of the water column or you know a rattle trap run through the middle of the water column you know so be on the lookout for that again i'm going to fish as fast as i can (laughs) you know and i'll fish as high as i can off the water column and as fast as i can because that makes me more efficient if i'm able to catch fish Right, because when I'm not that trying, you're not trying to contact bottom, you know, and I'm just running through the middle. That's about the easiest fishing you can get, right? Besides throwing a yep. buzz bait on top, right? You know, so so, uh, and there will be a time in post spawn. Just so you guys know, in river smallmouth, right at, right after they recover, you know, just a, a couple weeks after the spawn, like right after most of the fish are recovering, there's going to be a really great top water bite. Be ready for that. So when you hit post spawn, always be checking for a top water bite. Highly recommend it. You know, get your poppers out, you know, and pop it a couple times. Let it sit on top. Um, I've had days like three springs ago where we weren't catching anything for like an hour. And I just like it kind of slipped my mind that that could happen. And I was like, oh, I'm going to tie on a popper. And man, did I catch some really good fish over 19 inches that day. It just like it was just like you would swear there wasn't a darn fish in the river, right. For about an hour, <laughs> you know? And then I was just like, "Juan, you forgot, like this is postponed. And they might be recovered now. So they might be wanting to come up on stuff. And I threw that popper. I got a bunch of pictures of that too. That was a good day. My buddy caught it. Uh, I,
4: I think I, I think I ran into that last year. Cause uh, I, I started throwing the Rico popper at one point. I, 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 I started hit a pattern and it was like right when the sun was going down, if, if the sun got down behind the horizon and I'd throw a popper for like the next half hour, it would be just yeah. like almost
2: lights out. Like, and, and that's constantly, usually bad. it's usually about a, like a week to two, two weeks out from the spawn when, when a lot of the, like, most of the fish are recovered, you know what I mean? Like they're just recovered, you know, you still tell that they were spawning, you know what I mean? But they're a lot, they're, they're really active. And for whatever reason, they like to come up. I Honestly, like I have a theory and I really don't like, I I don't put much stock in theory a lot of times. It's just like, you know, remember that happens one and be ready for it. Right. Um, You know, but I have a theory that a lot of hatches happen then. And I think they like big caddis and stuff like that. And I think that might be be part of it. Because if you notice, a lot of times when I see that popper bite, I'm also seeing good caddis hatches too. You know, oh, yeah,
4: I, Last year, right about that time, I was having to wear my my face buff up over my mouth because yeah. I kept eating bugs like crazy.
2: And, and, yeah. th- and that could be like an indicator, too. And that's something I have to remind myself of because that day I like it was like I totally slipped my mind that those fish could be on top, you know, and that's all they respond to a lot of times. It's weird. Like, I threw the, everything at them and nothing. And then the popper was like, all of a sudden, there was fish in the water amazing. You
4: know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So so anyway, that's something to look at in the post spawn too, like once they kind of recover. Um, uh, but I hope I hope this is helpful. I mean, you know, again, in the video that I have out there on pre-spawn fish, um, I do go into detail on colors and I go in a lot of detail on a lot of other stuff that I didn't do here because I don't know how much you know real time we have and how long you want to make this thing. But but I can always talk forever on fishing. But but you know, if any of your listeners have any questions. Um, they can always email me. I'm, you know, I have a Facebook page and stuff like that. They can throw a question on there. I love to answer questions from anglers, um, about presentations and things like that. So, um, I'm, I'm always willing to share, I, like I said in my classes when I was teaching for over a decade, and like I tell people I talk to, I will always share every, uh, there's no secret I have that I wouldn't tell somebody about how I catch fish. Now, I'm not going to tell you where I fish. <laughs> and where I find big fish but I will tell you the tactics I use and and how I break it down because that's fun I love to see anglers be really successful on the water you know and learn things that they're going to help them you know because you know it's a fun sport you know what I mean everybody you know should be able to, to absolutely
4: it. yeah
2: but I, I hope that helps I mean that that's a little bit about location and again that's pretty simple it's by the numbers you don't have to make it complicated um, and then a little bit about presentations to address those kinds of water that you're gonna find the pre-spawn, post-spawn fish. Uh, and that's really all it is, you know, and fish a river, find those spots and they'll usually be the same year after year for five, six, seven years. They might change eventually, but, um, but they'll be very similar every single year. And you can go to other rivers and break it down too, you know, uh, and find those those areas like that, so
4: yeah I was gonna say uh, I know I always take for granted on the Susquehanna that I have miles of ledges to fish and and yep. um, but if you have if you're smish, fishing a smaller river uh, mm-hmm. like some of our other hosts uh they're over like in ohio and and yep. kind of <clears throat> places a little more midwest where you might mu- yep. your th- those spots are gonna be a lot fewer in in their yep. river than maybe than maybe I have access to here. Uh, so you know i still have quite a few places to t- check uh mm-hmm. if i'm going to be hitting those kind of spots but in smaller rivers um like the duck river or some of those mm-hmm. other rivers that uh you hear about people fishing that you're you're going to have a, a quite a few fewer places to look to, to look yeah. at these
2: fish and, and in your smaller rivers it might be drop-offs <laughs> too so so if you look at a, a bank and say there's like a, a shallow kind of spawning area and then like the river i was fishing those boulders were actually on a steeper drop so so it could be because that is enough especially if the 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 drop has like some irregularity to it there's places Mm -hmm. for fish to tuck in there and so so if you're in a river that doesn't have a lot of you know boulders or anything like that look for current depth changes like like really drastic current changes Either, you know, like I said about that bowl effect, right? So the river's coming down, it drops, the bottom drops out. Look for that kind of stuff close to the spawning areas and look for maybe there's, there is some, like, you know, the bank comes down and then it's gradual and then all of a sudden it drops like three feet off like that. They'll hug that and that'll be their pre spawn spot too. I've seen that many, many times as well. Um, Because again, we tend to think at an angle like that's a drop, but that drop has this in it too. Ripple ripples right mm-hmm. and so there's a little tuck in spots there and if that's the only thing they got to the rest in, to ambush prey and is pre-spawn fish that's what they're going to use so every river is different you know what i mean and you really have to look at what kind of cover is available what kind of structure especially structure for pre-spawn what kind of structure is available and really like like in your head make the tally like make a list of structure in the river you fish Right. Like when I teach on the Susquehanna, it's like, what's our structure here? Well, you said it. ledges. There's chunk rock. There's boulders. There's islands. There's two different kinds of islands on the Susquehanna. If you really need you do need to categorize because they're different. One is what I call uh, minor islands. Those are the ones where there's no trees and it's mostly grass or shrubs. Right. The other category for me is major islands. Those are the ones that have trees on. They're different, and they they attract fish at different times of year under different conditions. But you have to you have to make the differentiation between those things, right? You know, there's a difference right. between and chunk rock. You know, <laughs> you know there's the, and so so you got to like look at your river and like what I would do as an angler if I'm fishing rivers, I would make a list of the structure wood. On some rivers that's big, on our rivers it tends not to be that big most of the time because there's just so much other structure right um that's more important right. to the bass but on some rivers what is the thing you know what is is it right a root wad is a bass attractor you know it might even a root wad might even be a pre-spawn spot <laughs> you know what i mean That's that's you know in in the water deep enough water near the spawning area right so so angler what i would say too is make a list of what you perceive as being the structure and what you perceive as being cover on your river and and really try to think about that you know because once you know that you can start you know kind of patterning the fish and say hey look they were in the minor islands during the summer they moved in there really tight when the water levels were going up because I caught a bunch of fish around a bunch of islands, right? There, there you start to build your patterns that will hold year after year so that when you get to those conditions right away, you can hit the river and you're like, huh, all right, I've seen this before. Let's go do this, yep. right? And that's when that's when you really, you know, can, you know, and even breaking down new rivers. I know years ago I was on a, in a tournament and I never fished this river before in my life. And, uh, and I looked at Google Maps and one of the things I, I said, what is the primary um, structure? Like in the Susquehanna, if I asked you that question, you'd say, what? What's the primary structure? Ledges. Yep. Ledges. Primary structure. Day in and day out. That's, if you want to look for fish, go find a ledge, right? And, and you will find some fish, right? And so I looked at that river and it was actually gravel bars. And and I actually won the tournament, and my partner fished with me, got second place, and we fished the same pattern all day, and and we did really well. Um, I knew when I was throwing back a fish, and one of the other tournament guys said, "Are you throwing that, that?" You know, it wasn't a keep, but I didn't measure it. And they were like, "Are you throwing that back?" I'm like, "Yeah, I already got one bigger than that." <laughs> I knew I knew that I knew that we would be up there pretty good, and we were like number one and number two. Um, awesome. but, uh, but it was, it was a pattern on gravel bars because that was the primary structure. And, uh, and then I just figured out how the fish were situated on that primary structure, which luckily we figured it out pretty quickly and made it pretty good. So anyway, oh, nice. um, it, you know, think about your structure in your rivers, if you're a river angler and, and think about when, when, uh, when your time of year, when you're catching fish around certain structure and how they're relating to it. Think also about um, certain water conditions and where you catch fish because it's not an accident. They're there. They're there for a reason. And then that's when you can start duplicating it. You know, keep a log, um, you know, your water conditions, water flows and stuff like that. And if you do that for two or three years, you know, pretty religiously, you're going to build a repertoire of patterns that you can just use year after year after year. Wow, that was a lot more than you
4: probably want to know. I'm huh, that, the, the, but that's perfect. You know, I've heard from listeners that they love it when, you know, we just pack in, you know, all that detail because it just yeah. gives them so much more uh, tools to go out and, and yeah. to try. And like you said, you know, that's not Susquehanna specific or Juniata specific. That, that, those kind of things will work if you can um, locate whatever is in your body of water, you know, you can, you can put those same things to use. So, um, I, mean, I fish you know. for
2: bass in a lot of states and a lot of different types of water, and really just identifying key structure, and then going after it. You know, again, maybe there are these really minute, you know, that a local might know, minute patterns, right? That are really pattern on a pattern, spot on a spot. I mean, I can do that on Susquehanna. There's a the spot, and then there's the spot on the spot. <laughs> you know, what I mean, where where it's concentrating fish for some reason under certain conditions, right? um you know but but in most places you can go and I I've done that just I make a inventory of all the structure and all the cover and then I say to myself like let's methodically go through some of this stuff and let's pay attention to where we're catching the fish and then just keep duplicating that on this river and I've done it in a lot of ways I've never even seen before um and then and I to catch fish so
4: Well, it also, I think, helps you to eliminate water, too, because, you know, if you take a look at the Susquehanna, that's a lot of river. And if you're going to just go around and try and locate fish just by, you know, luck, it's going to be a lot tougher versus if you know the spots to start looking and then you can move from there. uh, You know, you know, it's going to help you be more effective anyway, because you're eliminating water that you don't need to try because you have a good idea already where they might be. So,
2: yep, yep. Yeah, you got your hunch where they might be but then you have also got to be ready to give up and <clears> give it up and go back to square <laughs> one, and start making a bunch of casts and you know now right was when i taught my class it's like in the beginning when you're trying to set a pattern you really want to give on, on a piece of structure or a type of cover you want to give the fish a, a few different looks um until you figure out like whether they're really there or not because you can't just like throw a spinner bait You know, you can, honestly, you can, but you might miss a good pattern that way. You know what I mean? So sometimes, even though I'm catching fish in the first, like, fishing in a tournament is different, right, than fishing for yourself. When when I'm fishing for myself and just for fun, I want to learn something that day. So a lot of times, even though I might, like a lot of anglers, when they catch a fish on the first bait, on the first type of structure, or maybe they're just throwing, right, and they're just catching it on something. And they're not even really paying attention to what structure they're fishing on, what depth, what current flow, um, substrate, all those details You really should be paying attention to. Um, You know, you know, they'll catch fish and then just stick with it. Right. But sometimes not changing means you're not going to catch bigger fish. You know what I mean? And so a lot of times, even though I catch fish, I might start to nail down the location by catching some fish. But then I start to fine tune my presentation and change out my presentation on those pieces of structure that I think are or I know are holding fish to try to pull bigger fish. You know, that that's a big thing. Like, like, OK, now I'm catching fish on this structure. Can I change my presentation to catch bigger fish in some way that might mean going bigger right. maybe even going smaller some days? Right. Or going slower some days or going faster. Right. Um, right. You know, so really, it's, you know, it's. Um, it's uh, you know there there was a uh, I'm going to do a video on this so I'm not going to give it all away but there's a presentation I do with jerk baits that you can fish a, a soft jerk bait like a fluke in one way but there's a certain way you can fish it where you can draw a bigger fish and I've had this happen in my class numerous times if you fish it a certain way like the way most people fish them you will catch okay fish but if you change it a little bit and, and you fish it a little bit differently. You actually draw strikes from bigger fish and it does work um I, interesting it's probably one of my uh, i'll do a video about it like i said i want to give it all away because but i will share it eventually here but i want to do a, a really like in-depth video on it honestly because i think it's a really powerful technique and it's i've used it in my classes i mean the the head of the all the fish um um Took head of all the uh, trout hatcheries, like for the Fish Commission, took my class. He caught his first 20-inch smallmouth using that technique. And that day, we no. had another guy catch his first 20-inch doing that same technique. Um, so it's a soft jerk bait technique. That's, uh definitely different, but it draws big fish. So my point there is, honestly, Sean, is that when you find the fish, don't be happy just catching the fish if they're, you know, not the size you're after. Like try changing up to see if you can. Maybe you need to fish out more aggressively on top to get the bigger fish. Uh, you know, again, you just play around with it to get
4: something. Right. Right. Now that makes a lot of sense. So, I definitely look forward to hearing about that uh that that uh trick with the uh the flukes and stuff because uh I'm definitely interested in catching more 20 inch I caught my I finally caught my first uh 20 inch smallmouth last year. Uh that mm-hmm. was I think it was 20 and a half. So, Um, and that was probably three years of searching for a 20 inch fish. So I'm definitely interested in catching more, but, uh, there
2: you go. There you go. um, Awesome, man. Well, I, again,
4: tons of good information. Um, I wanted to give you a chance. Where can folks, uh, find you, find these videos? Um, what's the best place to look you up and also your videos and your content?
2: Videos on one, the YouTube channel is one more fish, like one more fish. So my first name Juan, and then more like catch more fish. So there so you go. I'm looking at starting another guide business, and I think that'll be the name of it. Um, and I'll start teaching classes again. So it should be pretty awesome. I probably will start next year though. Um, okay. And then um, the my uh, my uh, Instagram is Juan More Fish again, and um, all the videos are on that YouTube channel um so look at that um and then also i have a facebook page that's uh one fishing so that's my last name Juan brute fishing um that's really the main thing youtube facebook and uh and then instagram If you just want to see some of the stuff i actually put some tips on the instagram too i don't just like putting out pictures i like to like give a tip here and there and some insight into what i'm doing um, so those are the major places. Um, I'm sponsored by, been a long time, um, Wilderness Systems guy. Um, so I do videos for them. So if you want to see some of my videos, you can go over the Wilderness Systems page too, because some of them I, I give to them. Um, and then uh, also um, Yak Attack has been a long, long, I've been with them since they had the Visicarbon Pro was about their only thing they were selling. Um, and uh, love that company, love Luther Seifers, man. He is an ingenious designer. Um, and I, you know, I got <laughs> about everything they make I use. <laughs> so, so, and, and uh, it takes a lot to get me to put gadgets on my kayak cause I'm not a big gadget guy, but I, if I'm gonna use something, it's something they designed. Um, and so those in Fit Lures, I've been with them a long time. Um, you know, that those baits were designed with probably, by some, probably one of the best smallmouth anglers on the Susquehanna. Just a super knowledgeable guy who passed away a couple years ago, um, but had sold the the um, the um, molds and so forth to this new company, Fit Lures. Uh, and so they're making the program, doing it the same way you were doing it. Yeah um definitely I, I really enjoy using their baits for smallmouth and that's their special is designing baits for smallmouth bass fishing so those are my sponsors um you know you can see my articles on, on oh a good place to pick up some of my articles are really good articles would be on the um, um kayak angler magazine their website they've taken a lot of the magazine articles that i've um, published with them in their in their hard copy magazine and they've taken them and just scraped them and put them on their. Uh, Website. So if you just search Juan and you know in their search box, you'll get like a listing of all the articles that they posted. And I'm really proud of those articles, honestly. Because again, when I write an article for them, I write it in a way that if you know if an angler reads it, I want them to have in you know like instant success from the tip, instant success from the concept. And that's the way I write it people to be able to understand it and apply it. So I make it simple and actionable, right? And they can go out and do it themselves right away. Um, I don't get super, super complicated because fishing is sometimes made more complicated than it needs to be. It ain't that hard. Fish got a brain about that big. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, they got instinct and you use that instinct against them, you know, you use the behaviors against them, so. So that would be oh. where you can find stuff for me. Well, that was a and lot. And what's liked. the
4: best way to ask you a question? Like, if they had a question, what, uh, like, yeah, Facebook they, Messenger they, or Instagram Messenger?
2: Yeah, they can Do send what? me a message or just put it on the Facebook page. I like when people put um, questions on my Facebook page because honestly, like, I can answer it and everybody can get the benefit of it. Right.
4: Them. No, that makes like, sense. Was, yeah. It,
2: and, and honestly, like, there's no stupid question. Like, one of my rules on my Facebook page is if if you think people, you know, if you if you, you get bothered by people asking the same question over again on my Facebook page, then you must be an expert. So go find someplace else to be. <laughs> you're, you're way past anything I have to offer, then too. <laughs> so, because so, I, I, I mean, when you're new, you just ask your question. You know what I mean? Like ask it you know what i mean you know it's i'll answer the same question a hundred times if i have to i don't care because every time i answer a question i think about it before i answer it and i learn how to teach it better i learn how to explain it better so i I don't mind answering the same questions (laughs) it doesn't bother me well i learned i I, uh
4: i there's one question i might shoot you then because uh i've been looking at it and i know um there's another guide on susquehanna chris Um, you yeah. probably know him cause he throws a lot of fit I know very
2: Well, I fished with him. Yeah. I fished with him out of his boat. Yeah. Yep. And we I know, tie.
4: uh, he, he, he throws the stone caddy and I need to learn how to fish that.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
4: cause, uh, I have tried it and haven't had a lot of success and I know he has a ton of success, so I know it's gotta be something I'm doing wrong. It,
2: it's, it's a good bait. You can fish it on a ball head jig. Um, you can fish it that way or you can fish it on that um you know if it's the right kind of cat bird, mm-hmm. like fit lures makes one that's designed to fit on the flutter heads and that works mm-hmm. good because of the, the thickness of the bait and so forth because some of the baits like, like that they make their stone cats they're so the bodies are so big and thick that it's hard to fish on a flutter head you almost have to fish it either text posed rig which is gets a little messy in river fishing or you know if you're using like a regular text pose hook and so forth um because then you got to peg the weight and do all kinds of stuff that's why i like the Flutterhead because it's basically text bows but it's all compacted all one unit you got nothing to mess around with um but they do make a, a stone caddy that's that actually i like it because it's thinner and it moves in the water a lot mm-hmm. of the ones I see out there in the market they're so thick that the tail doesn't do anything they're stiff they're like a stick um so that's why I like their stone caddies. Um, but yeah, you can fish them slow, drag them like a tube, drift them, like okay. in the current, like they're tumbling. You can tumble them. Um, that's a good presentation with a little bit of lift once in a while. Like I find with them the least the amount of movement the better. <laughs> so I so I tend to fish them like a tube, basically. Okay. Okay. That's and I've had a lot of luck with them too. So
4: cool. All right, man. Well, again, thanks so much for coming on. I'll try and make it not two years again before we have you back on. Cause sure. you have so much good info and um, yeah, yeah. like, let me, definitely let me know uh, when you start classes again, I'll, I'll be paying attention to your, your uh, pages and stuff. Cause yeah. that's definitely something I'm interested in taking advantage of for sure. So, yeah, man, <clears throat>
2: yeah.
4: and I'll definitely be keeping an eye out for that. Uh, 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 soft plastic jerkbait, uh, article to our,
2: yeah. our video. So one. it's a good one. Trust me. It's a good one. <laughs> you got to believe in it. It's a little bit out there, but you got to believe in it. As long as you believe in it, you, you're going to, you're going to catch them. You're going to catch some big ones. Um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And if, you know, if your, um, listeners, if you take a poll and you want a certain, um, to- they, they, they tell you a certain topic, I'd be happy to come on and talk about it you know like whenever people have like a specific topic like today was great because it's very specific and then kind of think through it and present it Uh, but you know if if your listeners send you notes and they want a certain topic on river smallmouth fishing i can definitely do that or even the fly fishing realm because i do a lot of fly fishing for smallmouth and for trout but for smallmouth in particular on the river um, i'd be happy to do that stuff too so whatever you guys got i'm always happy to keep Anytime I get a chance awesome. to, fish, awesome. to teach a little bit and share some of my, my, my 50 plus years of, uh, of fishing knowledge. I, I will do that. So.
4: Awesome. All right, guys. Well, you heard it there. If you, if you have a topic that you would like Juan to come on and talk about, drop it in the uh, comments on any of our pages and, um, uh, we'll definitely reach back out to them and have them back on. So, awesome. all right. Well, In the meantime, everybody go check out, uh, Juan's pages, um, for tons of great information. Uh, him and Jeff, like I said, they, they have that awesome series that it's like basically the Bible of river smallmouth fishing. If you want to go check that out there, that is, um, pretty much the best information you could really find. And, uh, it's all out there readily available, but definitely, uh, um, you know, check out his new pages, the, the one more fish, uh, definitely, uh, give him some hits and, um, uh, if you, uh, I'll make sure I post uh, links to those in the show notes. So if you, you want to make it easy, you can just uh, go down there and click. Um, but Juan, again, thanks, Spud, uh, for coming good on. on. Uh, definitely tons of great information. No um, guys, thanks for tuning in. And uh, this has been the Bass Fishing for Noob segment on the Paddle and Fin podcast, where we bring you the techniques, the tricks, and the tips to help you rip more lips. Thanks, Juan, and uh, have a good night, everyone.
2: Awesome, man. Thanks, buddy.
3: Yep. See ya. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to Jigmasters.com and fill your tackle boxes today. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Stand presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment